Welcome to your last podcast, the last podcast in the game, but the first you should listen to. I'm your host, Colton Simpson. And joining me this week, it's our resident audiophile, William Ham Clark. Hi. And always in my corner, it's the amazing Grace Tatigen. Hello, hello. And last but certainly not least, it's Mr. Listen himself, Josh Fay. What do you have? So what is your last podcast? We're a conversational podcast where every week each of us brings a topic of conversation to argue amongst ourselves and talk it out for your amusement. If you like that, be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed to never miss a new episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, leave a like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're feeling generous to have a couple of bucks to toss our way, you can always head on over to patreon.com slash yourlastpodcast and help support the show. So with all that out of the way, Ham, you're kicking things off this week. What's your topic? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about who inspires us creatively. Most of us are artistic here at the table. We have like something that we're passionate about. Even Josh here is he's fucking smiling away <laughs> at me. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Paints pro- like Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, he's probably one of the more successful ones at the table. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, no, I just, I just wanted to kick that off. Um, I'm actually going to go first just because I want to get it out of the way. Um, Jeez. I, I'm obviously inspired by music a lot. And like no one, way. Of the, one of the biggest um, things that inspired me to like pick up music was video game music because, you know, you get immersed in the game and like those like those tunes stick in your head like as you like go through the game and it sort of like imprints on you as like you go through, you know, your adventure and like getting to that. What I'm talking about is the music for Zelda hmm. and... Koji Kondo is the guy that wrote all the music for Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. and or for the N64 versions. And like all of that music is just so well put together, but it's like it's not just put together to be atmospheric. There's like almost like a poppy, like jingly element to it that like everything sticks into your head and like it's not super complicated usually it's usually just like a few notes and like say like going through like the lost woods and zelda like that's it's like and like we all know it yeah yeah it's it's very nostalgic yeah it's very playful as well like in zelda it's it's an interesting thing if you're talking about the ocarina of time a lot of the music earlier in the game when you're playing as a child is very magical very playful and then once you get older uh when you grow up like the seven year time skip like the music kind of shifts. It takes familiar notes from as a kid, mm-hmm. but it kind of reimagines them like as you would imagine them as an adult, a little bit darker, a little bit more serious. Like being an adult is. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think he did a really good job of just like bringing that music and almost making it like an integral piece to that game. Like if you took away the music to that game, like it wouldn't be nearly as good. No. Well, the instrument, the ocarina, is literally in the title of the game. Yeah. Like, music is integral to that game. What was Skipper's name again? Link? No, 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 no. <laughs> Koji Kondo. Koji Kondo. Okay, so is he responsible for anything else at the time? Because I know a lot of those guys kind of collaborate. Like, is he in any way responsible for, like, the Mario theme or anything like that? You know I'm not sure, because I only, like, searched up his work for... Zelda? Oh, yeah, Zelda, essentially. So, Interesting. Yeah. That. Other than that, like, I have a lot of... Like, there's a lot of musicians that I can go on about, but, like, if I link it all back, no pun intended, <laughs> like, that is, like, even, Nicely like, done. even, like, the the Zora thing, like, playing the guitar. Like, oh, yeah. That's, that's probably, like, stuck in my mind somewhere, like, I really want to play guitar, because, you know, this cool-ass fish guy 
just shredding his like bone guitar. <laughs> that was pretty sick. Yeah. But um, no, I want to pass it off to Josh because I think he's going to have a good answer to this one. Well, I actually have two answers to tell you the truth. And I kind of think that they're both good because one is sort of my more recent idol when it comes to, because I play a lot of guitar and I play a lot of piano, but uh, I've sort of gotten into a bit of like finger picking freestyle, flamenco style type of, of guitar on acoustic guitar. And the guy, I fortunately had the opportunity to see this guy in concert. It took me two tries to get to see him, but <laughs> I finally got to see him and his name is Tommy Emmanuel. And he, the he's best, really good. The best way to describe him is he's like a fucking alien. I mean, he, <laughs> he he is like if you watch him play the acoustic guitar, he's not even playing it as a guitar. He's scratching it up. He's ripping holes in it with his bare hands. He's bending the neck just like a whammy bar on an acoustic like guitar. It's insane the stuff that he's doing with the guitar. But he's probably the most gifted person I've ever seen. He's from Australia, but he's 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 probably Mate. the most gist, gifted. <laughs> guitar player i think i've ever seen in my life like if you search up best guitar players in the world i guarantee you he'll be in like the top five for sure he's just ridiculous and i actually went to see this guy in san antonio texas two years ago and for various reasons the trip got <laughs> fucked up on me and i had to come home early and i missed the concert by a day and i never thought i'd get a chance to see him because he don't leave you know doubt back very often mm -hmm. But he actually came here to St. John's back last September, and I finally got a chance to go see him. And he played at Holy Heart Theater, and he was unbelievable, like really, really good. So just watching him play the guitar, and he also publishes a lot of stuff online. I follow a lot of his videos, learn to play a lot of his songs, and it does me a lot of good. It's taken my personal ability to a whole nother level because I'm playing stuff now that I never thought I would be able to play. And I wouldn't have been able to do it unless I'd been able to sort of pick the snots out of his recordings and break it down piece by piece and learn it. So he has been a major influence for me. But that's part one. The other person that's been more like of a long-term influence, I don't mean to get too sappy here, but my mom uh, is probably one of the most talented people I've ever met. With That's regards so nice. to, to well, with regards to that is, that is true to, for, for versatility. My mother is probably one of the most versatile musicians I've ever met in my life. She can sing, she can play the piano, she can play the guitar. I've seen mom pick up like pieces of music she's never heard before, and she can harmonize, which is an extremely rare gift to have in terms of singing. She can pretty much fit in like a dirty shirt anywhere at all. And for me personally, being able to watch her and grow up with that, I sort of was able to be inspired at a young age. But she's also a published musician. She's actually had CDs put out with a band called Sagona and Black Pearl, both bands that she was in back in the late 90s and early 00s. And they've got first one CDs and cassettes were sort of like going on the same time. I actually got like still saran wrapped copies of the of the cassettes and the CDs that she first put out. And it's kind of cool when you think about like, geez, this is what she was doing before I was even on the scene at the time. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. So she, she was trying to make a go of it. And the, the question is often popped into my head. Like if mom was on the go when YouTube and stuff had just been starting up, like, I wonder if things could have been very different because, and like, you know, obviously I'm a bit biased because it's my mom, but you know, she's, she's very talented. And there's a lot of people that are fucking famous today that have far less talent. So it would have been interesting to see 
if she had the means back in the day to be able to, you know, not be in Goose Bay trying to be a rock star, if you'd been maybe in Toronto or something like that, yeah. might have played out a little bit differently. So it's kind of always been a fleeting top for me, but big inspiration. Anyways, before everyone starts tearing up. That's, I, I, I think that was the most wholesome shit you ever said. But. Yeah. Well. Wow. Like, way to make all of our answers going to be way worse. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Grace. So, what about you? What do you uh, think? Uh, in terms of uh, versatility, was uh, definitely a quality that I was thinking about in terms of who inspires me. So, I also have a musician, uh, not inspiring me to make music because I don't have a musical bone in my body. I can play my iPod, and that's just about it. Um, but uh, the first one that came to mind is probably Sarah Bareilles, who she's uh, you'd, you'd know her from the radio. Her first and I'm not usually a radio listener, uh, but her her first song that got her on the radio that got her really popular. It's called Love Song. And it's all uh, the, the chorus is I'm not going to write you a love song because you ask for it. And the reason she wrote this. I was this, thinking of A Thousand Miles. That's someone different. Vanessa Carlton. There, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um, the reason she wrote that song is because her record label told her, write a love song, it'll be popular, it'll go on the radio. And she said, no, I'm going to write what I want to write. And so that's what inspired her to write that song. And she has gone on to basically do her own thing and be, and all of her, her music is, has a very big, um, it's very empowering. You know, it's very much, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, she's gone on to write a book. She went on to write a Broadway musical. She just put out an album a couple months ago. And she really, uh, it's funny because uh, towards the end of her her newest album, there's almost like a bluegrassy feel, like uh, kind of like Emmylou Harris vibes. And I was like, you know what? You're doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. And I really, really appreciate that. Not feeling the need to follow the path of what all of the I don't know who's popular, Miley Cyrus and Cardi B and whoever else is on the radio. She's she's doing what she wants to do. So you admire the yeah. defiance, do you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and just doing her own thing and not, and I mean, it's still pop music. I mean, it's still, yeah. you know, very accessible and stuff like that. It's not something experimental and crazy, but just not doing what everybody else tells her to do. I really admire that. And then another um, person similar vein but more on the i think experimental is probably a strong word to describe it but liz fair was uh she had a a big hit in the what was it probably like the mid 2000s uh why can't i uh like you again you'd probably know it from the radio but that actually that album is the weakest one she's got all of this really wacky music out there she's her latest album i don't think she's making music anymore i think she writes a lot of scores for tv shows now but she like raps on it and she just does all of this wacky stuff and just does whatever the heck she wants writes this crazy music you know who like you're bringing bringing up like people that like kind of do whatever they want in terms of like music and yeah. like you br bringing that up brings me to tyler the creator i know that's a big jump from that <laughs> from liz fair <laughs> from liz fair but like in terms of like hip-hop i think he's doing just so much weird shit he goes into like do like soft weird r&b things and like he'll put like synthy stuff in and just i think he's i think he kind of changed i don't want to say how like kids look at hip-hop but like i think he did because like he let people be weird like his exactly. fashion sense is off the wall his music is weird his personality is weird like i don't know it i think i think people it's like that are weirdness and defiance that i find very inspiring 
and kind of really i would yeah. not you would not have struck me as one who admires defiance but that's interesting in in you know defying social norms and this is what we're expecting of you and you know particularly for female musicians you know the expectation is kind of you know take your clothes off and wiggle around on stage and everybody will like you solid approach you know <laughs> and, and i like people who don't feel the need to do that mm-hmm. um i really do uh, appreciate that and you know it makes me think well if ever i have an idea and oh maybe it's too stupid or you know that's not something that would be popular or anything along those lines it's it's nice to be reminded that no you know what doing your own thing pays off so that that's that's in terms of creativity and inspiration, that's really what I thought of those two people. Colton? Yeah, for who like inspires me creatively. Uh I'll mention Hans Zimmer again just very quickly in terms mm-hmm. of the scores. Like when I'm writing, I listen to a lot of his music just because it is very loud, very empowering in terms of what I'm writing currently, just with science fiction. And it kind of just drowns out whatever thoughts you have going through your head like you literally can just push everything away and write in terms of filmmakers i have a couple that i would mention i i can't really idolize someone like spielberg like to actually uh encourage me because he's just on like another level he's like on an upper echelon at my age spielberg was making jaws i mean i'm nowhere near (laughs) making jaws so i kind of gotta admire some people that are kind of doing it a little bit new so uh, a guy named david f sandberg He's the guy who he was literally making shorts like four or five years ago with his wife in his apartment. He made the lights out short, like the horror short. Mm -hmm. And literally in a run of a year, somebody bought that short, upgraded him to make a full major motion picture based off of his own short. He was able to write and direct it. He then went on after a year or two to make Annabelle creation, which all things considered, it is a better movie than the first Annabelle movie. And I mean, after a couple of years, I know Grace isn't a fan of the movie, but he now just made Shazam a couple of months ago. He's somebody that literally in the course of three to four years, he went from making shorts with his wife on like cell phones, terrible in his apartment to directing a major superhero movie. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, In the same vein, there's Andy Muschietti who he did mama. Like he got kind of picked up by, I think it was Guillermo del Toro noticed his work and encouraged him to make mama the horror movie. Mm -hmm. And from that, he's now directed it chapter one and is moving on with it chapter two. So in the horror world, He's a really big deal. Once again, got to start making shorts on YouTube, which is something that 20 years ago obviously didn't exist. That's it. <laughs> and of course, I cannot uh, move away from this real quickly without mentioning Damien Chazelle, who, of course, he's the youngest person ever to win a Best Director Oscar. I think he's like 32, 33 or something. Literally made Guy and Madeline on a park bench with just some friends at film school. Made Whiplash, which... I think is one of the best movies of all time. It's literally in my yes. top four or five. I love Whiplash. And then he made La La Land, which I'm a big sucker for, which I realize not a lot of people like. I but, loved it. But. but that movie is tied for the most Oscar nominations of any movie throughout history. It's like tied with like Titanic and something else. That's literally the guy's third in game. <laughs> that, we don't know if that's getting any Oscars yet. But that guy is so impressive. And of course, he's someone else that I look at on like obviously a different level than myself, but he is so young. And so new to it that in a matter of four to five years of hard work, he went from student film to one of the most successful, like critical movies of all time, which is incredible. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of room for people to grow if you're in like the right place and have the right people supporting you. So it's a couple of filmmaker people that I have to mention. You know, yeah, the, the hard work aspect is another, I think, really important part mm, of the inspirational so you know because someone can be an absolute genius and you can admire them absolutely and they can inspire you but if you don't have that same quality of genius 
you know, how are you going to no. do it? You know what I mean? It yeah. doesn't matter how much I love Aaron Sorkin's writing. I will never be able to write like that. No, you know, because my brain doesn't work that way. But, you know, I can have the same work ethic if I put put my mind to it, right? Well, that's the thing that's encouraging about, like, let's say David F. Sandberg. When you go and look at Lights Out, the short, where it's like, I think his wife is playing, like, the monster, or maybe she might actually be the scared woman in it. It's, you look at it, it's grainy. It's probably kind of poorly framed. It's it, like it doesn't look like a great short nowadays. Like you wouldn't put this on Reddit and get thousands of upvotes. But it is something that had like a good idea and a good scare mm-hmm. right at the end of it that literally caused people to give them millions of dollars to make something right. And this this didn't even go like super viral. You know, it might be viral now, but at the time, like it's just pretty impressive that he got discovered. That's all. Making a little short. I think yeah, it's literally- I, I didn't when I watched that short. I was shit baked to watch that because that's the one where the lights are flicking on and off and Misty's yeah. creeping up the hallway. Yeah. And then here the fuck she is by the bed stand, right? Yeah. Imagine making something two to three minutes long and someone being like, all right, here's $7 million. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's insane. So yeah, it's just very encouraging that you can make something so small and obviously you got to be incredibly lucky, but you know, it does happen. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that covers it. I think that covers it. Yeah. So my topic this week, uh, pretty hard pivot from what inspires you creatively. I want to know what is the most elaborate dumb lie you've ever told so we've kind of been outing ourselves on the podcast the last couple weeks of certain things that we do poorly you know our bad habits our guilty pleasures so i figured why not just complete the trifecta let's talk about lying but i want to make it a little bit fun like what's the best dumb lie you've told so josh you're somebody that you love your tall tales (laughs) you love a little bit of a flair for the dramatic when you're telling a story so what's the most elaborate dumb lie you've ever told well, it's kind of hard to sort of really pick the snots out of like, what's the dumbest one? But one in general that's fairly recent in terms of just like, comes out of necessity of I'm fucking sick and tired of explaining what this is, is my tattoo, which I don't know if you can really see there on the camera. That's a Pontiac symbol, my <laughs> Well, there you go. There you go, right? So depending on who you talk to, you know, the question always comes up eventually when I go in somewhere and I get to know a crowd of people. They're, they're looking at my arm and I see them fucking looking at my arm and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, here it comes. I'm going to get the question because it's very rare for someone to pick up on that and go, oh, so you're a Trekkie, are you? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, despite the fact that I'm wearing a fucking Star Trek shirt. <laughs> but anyways, I don't always wear this. So I've decided to have loads of fun with this here, here lately. I mean, I've, I've had different answers from, oh, what's that on your arm, bud? This here? Oh, yeah. Well, that's actually from my time in the Air Force. <laughs> when I was in the Air Force working overseas in South Korea, oh. I was up there patrolling the demilitarized zone. Oh, yes, spy. Very good. That's a bad spot, is it? Oh, you don't want to be up there, my son. <laughs> Dangerous. I, I've, also, I've also had one missus ask me, she said, what's that on your arm there? I said, oh, this? Well, this is an arrow. An arrow? Yeah, it points to the handsomest man in the room. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I've had loads of fun just sort of playing around with that one. Very rarely do I ever get someone that actually identifies it. But one in particular that, and of course, the best lies always come when you're trying to impress a girl. So year, years ago, I was trying to court this one girl, and she was a huge sports fan. And anyone who knows me knows that I don't give a fiddling fuck about sports <laughs> no. at all right but she was very into it and she was a really attractive girl at the time so i sort of made myself out to seem like i was a boston bruins fan right Ooh. fuck sake but I, I i told this fib when i was drinking right and forgot that i told it <laughs> so the next time that i saw her she was sort of like oh yeah so i'm sure you were up watching the game last night and you know you had this you said you're gonna have a big spread going and i sort of had to pivot on the spot and be 
oh yeah, you know, I was watching the game and I had the chicken wings on and had the homemade <laughs> sauce going. And she was like, oh yeah, she's like, so what do you think of the end? Well, boy, you know, it was pretty good. <laughs> you know, like, you know, unexpected twist. So this sort of went on for the span of probably several weeks, right? In terms of like every time that I'd see her, we'd always, she was obsessed with, with Aki, right? So it, it was an annoying fib to tell because I had to do my homework all the time and keep current with like, fuck, like, all right. So what's someone's name on this team? All right. So this Marshawn, Brad Marshawn was one that I remember. He's a little bit of a, like kind of a bulldog that plays on the team. He's always getting rackets and everyone loves him and stuff like that. So I had to research this stuff that I was not interested in at all and immerse myself in this whole like hockey persona, <laughs> oh, which is just not me at all. But, so anyways, it didn't, uh, it didn't fly after all. Did she find out about it? Eventually? No, she, she never did. She just no. faded away okay. into the abyss, skated away, away from me. <laughs> but no, and I was glad to see her go to tell you the truth because it was so stressful why weren't you just honest because yeah. it, I, it was just into deep. I, I was drinking i was drinking and like you don't always make the smartest choices when you're drinking and i really wanted to you know make the connection there <laughs> right so and josh anyways, quote here go whiskey's not always on my side <laughs> if she wasn't on my side that no. night that's for fucking well sure but that was probably like three or four years ago and that was pretty good Three or four years ago. So my most elaborate dumb life. You got to go all the way back to grade four. Now, I might have lied other times. I, obviously, <laughs> you know, we're, none of us are perfect. Oh, no. But in terms of the most elaborate dumb lie that I can think of, go back to grade four, Miss Murphy's class. Anne was in the class. Neopets was all the rage back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit. You know, everyone played Neopets. And as you might remember from the podcast, Ham and I were big artists at the time. So we got into drawing Neopets. Quite often, mm. but I was perfect at drawing the Neopet Shoiru, and I don't know if anybody the knows dragon? the little dragon. Oh yeah, I was perfect at drawing him so much that a couple of girls in class was like, "You draw him perfectly." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, that's because I created him." <laughs> <laughs> no, I believe so, so, so they believed oh. me that I created Shoiru, that oh I had a God. family member that worked at Neopets, and that they liked my work so much. <laughs> That I created Shoyaru and gave it to him. So then for the rest of the year, I don't know if Ham remembers, they would always ask me, like, because Pokemon was all the rage, like, is Shoyaru going to get an evolution? You know, is he going <laughs> to evolve like Charmander into Charmeleon to Charizard? So I started drawing Shoy 2, which of course <laughs> was the evolved That's a good form, name. The evolved form of Shoyaru, and he was a badass looking dragon, and it was sweet. And uh, it's something I've never admitted. It's just a dumb, <laughs> dumb lie. But when I thought about it, I was like, I've literally been carrying this lie for like 20 years. Like, I mean, I've never... Do you never, feel better now? Yeah, I mean, just all the weight is lifted off my shoulders. Like, it's, it's such a dumb lie. But no one's ever asked me to explain it or to, to say otherwise. But for 20 years, I let some girls back in grade four believe that I created Shoiru. So Destroy few created, I'd say. It was so, unreal. So I did not create Shoiru. I've got to get out there. I'm going to say it now. I didn't create him. But I, you did create Shoi I, too. I did. I created Shoi <laughs> too and Neopets if you're out there. I probably got some old going. drawings back, back in Goose Bay. I'll send them your way. You know, I'll contact my family member that works there. Do Neopets evolve? No. Okay. I never played. I didn't know. No, they didn't evolve. But of course, like, like I said, Pokemon was all the rage so i was like oh yeah, it was hard to fact check this stuff 
back in the day with dial-up. It, was, oh, oh, it, yeah. it wasn't as easy. You couldn't just whip out your phone and give her, right? Well, yeah. it takes half the afternoon to lo- load a picture of Shoy Roo and you got a kid that could draw it in half the time. I mean, exactly. you know, you might believe him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Shoy Roo. Oh man, Grace! I've I've got a couple. Actually, your your tattoo story made me think. So I don't have any tattoos. I would be too afraid. Is that a lie? Because no, <laughs> oh no, um, I I don't handle pain terribly well. So I don't think that uh, I'm a good candidate to get a tattoo. But I had been talking with a friend of mine about tattoos who has several tattoos, and she said, you know, if you were to ever get a tattoo, what would you get? And I said, probably something children's literature related because I really I like children's literature. So that year. As a joke for my birthday, she got me a whole bunch of temporary tattoos that were all Harry Potter themed. Nice. And so what I decided to do, I don't know why I decided to do this, is I took one of them. It was just the nine and three quarters logo. And I just, I put it on my wrist and I held the, <laughs> the hot compress on my wrist. Good placement. <laughs> right? That, that's where, that's where someone would, would You're get. You're thinking it too, aren't you? <laughs> well, no, that's a, that's a, I will get to that part of the story. So I held the whole hot compress on it. And then I went into the bathroom and took a picture over the, the tile on my bathroom floor that I knew my parents wouldn't recognize so that it looked like I was in some kind of tattoo studio and sent the picture to my family and said, look what I got for my birthday because it was right around our birthday. Yeah. And I got, and so my mom, believed it my dad who hates tattoos refused to believe it he said no she would never do that to me she would never do that to me my brothers bought it hook line and sinker my brother jack was absolutely enraged (laughs) thought i was such an idiot what kind of loser would get a harry potter tattoo he was absolutely (laughs) just out of his mind furious until eventually my mom came and told him. I wouldn't have been thinking Harry Potter, but that's fine. <laughs> For nine and three quarters. Though. Yeah, I wouldn't be thinking okay, Harry Potter. Okay, well, the platform nine and three quarters. Anyways, so um, yeah, so that's that's probably a, a dumb lie. That that wasn't the one I had planned to tell. But uh, That's good, that's, though. I like that, that one. That was fun. But the funny thing was. <laughs> okay, you're getting there. Yeah, All the right. funny thing was is I jokingly did this and said I got it for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um. And then a few days later, told Colton this story. The funny thing is, so anybody who doesn't know, Colton and I have the same birthday. He had gone and actually gotten a tattoo for our on his birthday. So she sent me a message saying, like, look at this, like, lame wrist tattoo or something I got. It was something, like, literally talking shit about wrist tattoos. And I was like, look what I got for my birthday. And she was like, that's not real. I was like, it is. <laughs> Surprise. So... No, it was mine was lame because it was a joke and people bought it. I'm not All saying right. wrist tattoos are bad. There's lots of people out there with nice wrist tattoos. Sure. It was just funny that my my brothers were so enraged. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's probably uh that's my my story. <laughs> that's going. All right. Now so, deliver this, please. <laughs> so, we already got into the vaping thing and that's dumb enough as it is, <laughs> but I want to go back further. Okay. So, we're going back, what was it, junior high? <sighs> junior God. high. Do you want me to just tell it? What do you want? I'm, I'm a part of this lie. I think you'll do it better, and <laughs> I can right. fill in the omissions that you might have. <laughs> so, James, I don't know if you'll ever watch this, but I'm You're certainly sorry. never fucking watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to grade nine summer. 
So in our friend group, the grade nine summer, like people like put it on a pedestal, like no summer will ever be as good as the grade nine summer. So there was a group of us. We used to like hang out every single night. Pretty much. They'd stay over to our house. Who was it? It was me. Us. Yeah. Me and you. Chris. Chris, David. David, Steven. And that might be it. There's maybe a plus one. There might have been. I think uh, Steven's cousin might have been there for a little bit. But anyways, we used to like bang all around every night. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, James, you were left out. Um, All right. Bad bad word choice. I was was trying to make it casual like Josh. Um, We used to hang out every single (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Um, and that's usually my job is to open mouth insert foot. Oh god! <laughs> so oh, and what a summer it was. Um, it's just that's why. Dust till dawn, my son. Oh god! Thank fuck I was left out of that group. <laughs> oh no! Um, shit! <laughs> but we used to just hang out every night and like go. So the the lie is what happened that summer, right? <laughs> Shut up, Chris. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I got to get back to the story. Otherwise, James will be left on the edge of his seat. We used to ride around. <laughs> we used to, every single night, we'd go out on like scooters and bikes and stuff. Really cool and shit. Go banging. <laughs> we go bang around, all right? So, so. There was there was one night where I remember we didn't have enough bikes or scooters. There was a big group of us. Oh yeah. So, anyways, what you need to know about James is he had a BMX back in the day, and he was so he particular it. about that BMX. Like no one oh. could drive it. Like he babied it to all hell. But he did leave it in my garage for the summer. He was gone over, I think, to like Milton, like in the UK. Um, and we needed an extra bike, you know. And his bike had pegs, so really that'd be two people to go along. Exactly. So we Perfect. took. So James didn't know he was over <laughs> overseas. He didn't know any better. We took his bike. I didn't take it. Someone else drove it. Maybe like a Steven. I'll blame it on him. Um, <laughs> he was he was driving the bike. And while he was driving it, I think maybe the person jumped off the pegs and the bike fell over. And when it fell over, it scraped the grip on the handlebars and it scraped it bad. Like James notices everything about this bike. So he was going to notice this. So instead of being like, oh, we screwed up. Let's apologize for it. We took the bike <laughs> and started ghost riding it into like everything we could find. So we went to North Mart and there was this little jump next to the Burger King drive through. We'd drive as fast as we can, get on the pegs, jump off and send it and see how many flips it would do off the jump. We'd take it next to the dirt ramp, do the oh. same thing. Uh, I remember at the end of the night, there was somebody with a rope around the seat kind of dragging behind it on like a scooter. <laughs> um, literally, we took that bike and just drove it around all over the place. Now, it didn't get that beat up. It got beat up a little bit. It never rode the same again according to James. <laughs> well, I, I, can't, I can't vouch for that. I never rode it again. But after that night, we didn't take it out again. It was literally like we needed an extra bike. But James was gone for the whole summer, and he came back right at the end of August. And what did we say? He came into the garage. He was like, hey, Colton, you know, there's a couple, like, scrapes on my bike. Do you know if, like, anything happened to it? I did not know what to say. Completely forgot about it. This was like a month and a half ago. And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, I think Carvey hit it with the snowblower. <laughs> it's <laughs> in, in June in now. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of August. I told him that Carvey hit the bike with a snowblower. And James was just like, all right. And he took it, took the bike, went on. That was it. 
So there was a pact among the, the group of us that we were all like, we will never tell James what happened to that bike because he babied it. Like the guy would have like never talked to us again. So I was, I was going to save this story for James's wedding to tell him or get him like a BMX for it or something. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not confident that I'll be invited to it anymore. Well, especially, not now. No, especially <laughs> after this story. So yeah. Um, yeah I probably won't so. be invited to the weddings of anybody you were in the pact with either. So. God, maybe not. Some, <laughs> one of those might be coming up. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So who's guilty? Me, you, <laughs> Chris Michaelo, <laughs> David Shepard, Steve McClain, wherever the fuck you're to now. <laughs> so we were all there. We're all complicit. And uh, James did paint the bike over. And the covenant has been broken. <laughs> <laughs> he did paint the bike over, put some orange spray paint on the rims, some more stickers and stuff. He made it look nice again. But yeah, after the seal was broken and the, you know, the handlebar was ripped, that was it. No good, no more. That's oh, it. Funny boy. Oh my God. Oh my Lord. I can't. <laughs> Ruined his bike. No, it was still good. We rode it home. Oh my, that's pretty good. So I guess that's. I, I think that's it, Josh. That, right. So we can't talk about banging around. I, now. I was going to say that will forever be the summer. It's of banging certainly not going to happen in my scenario that I'm going to list out here now because my question to you all is were you to be stranded alone on a desert island? Just like Tom Hanks and Castaway, what would be your Wilson? And would do you think you'd need a Wilson? So Grace is opening her mouth I for an answer. Question. So fill your boots. I yes. have a question. I have an answer. Is this is the Will our Wilson in this situation? Is it meant for emotional support specifically, or is it meant as a way to entertain? Well, or both. 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 Okay. It's, it's meant to basically. There's two questions I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Would you slip? Into the abyss of insanity. Immediately. By yourself. <laughs> okay. So if the answer is yes, would a Wilson type of device or structure or symbol or whatever you could come up with, do you think that that would help you? And would you need it? Oh, absolutely. I, d- I, I get so... If I don't have something to do or someone to take care of or entertain, I don't know what to do. I just rattle around my house like a crazy person. I just don't know what to do. To be fair, you'd have a lot to do on a deserted island. You'd have to like start Depends a fire, find food. Island, I, suppose, yeah. oh, I guess so, yeah. That, that's true. But yeah. I, I like company. So I would, uh, if I don't have someone there to chat with or whatever, it, it's, I'm not even saying I have to be sitting down talking to somebody, but just enough to walk into the kitchen and say, oh, do you need a glass of water or something like that? Like I, I need to be, caring for somebody in some capacity. So that's why I was wondering if it is emotional support for me or is it a way to keep myself from going crazy? Because if it's to keep myself from going crazy, I would probably pick like the longest book I could find, like an encyclopedia. What? Yeah, I'm thinking it gives me something to read like constantly. Okay, so you're sort of thinking about a pastime. Yeah. It's sort of what it's sort of so okay. So let, let me give you an example, okay? okay and and maybe, maybe you can toss this back to me towards the end. I was thinking more along the lines of, <laughs> you need to create a persona. So for me, for example, I had, and I had a dream that this happened, so this is why I choose it. I might have been able to come up with a better answer than this, but I, it, it, would, it would be me just fabricating something in the, in the end. So I'm going to tell you what I dreamt. I dreamt that I was trapped on an island, and I had a sock yeah. puppet. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I had a sock puppet called Trout. <laughs> I, sock, I took my sock off made a sock puppet and he that there he was on my hand and i was constantly pacing around going what do you think of this me old trout what do you think of this trout what do you think of this and talking to him like an individual right 
And I was there, like, in my dream, of course, you know, this probably happened in the span of five seconds of REM sleep, but, you know, in my head, it was, like, 50 years before I finally got off that fucking island. But, yeah, so for me, it was a sock puppet named Trout that kept me from slipping into the abyss, okay? So, let me throw it to Ham, because you seem like you might have something strange. Um, We'll get back to you, though, Do I think I would... You know, slip into it insanity. Um, I'm already there, so <laughs> yes. But I, I don't know if I'd really need something. But if I did, I think it'd be Daniel Radcliffe's corpse. <laughs> I knew that's what you what? were going to go with. Why? Why did you steal that one? <laughs> the washed up corpse <laughs> yes. of Daniel Radcliffe is the only thing you need on a desert island as your Wilson. I had, a feeling, I had a feeling you were going to choose that. It's 100%. He's the Swiss Army man. You could use him in any way. You can escape on your Sea-Doo. You can use him as a grappling hook. He's a good buddy to like watch like your movies with, like Jurassic Park and all that shit. He's great. He is the perfect person you need on a desert island. I wasn't sure if he'd count, though, because he is like a corpse, you know? And for people that don't understand what we're talking about, this is from, <laughs> this is from a movie called Swiss Army Man. Garbage. It, it is the worst movie. You are wrong. Garbage. You guys are both wrong. It is. Center table. It is one of the best movies. Holding it down. Perfect five-star movie. Exactly. It's amazing. Um, I'd sooner have Earl stars. the Encyclopedia than a dead corpse. <laughs> Thank you. No, like, it, you know, obviously in that movie, there's magic realism to it. And, you know, may, he may be imagining it the entire time. Who knows? But Daniel Radcliffe in that movie is there to be a friend. He could project everything that's wrong and all of his insecurities on this person. And it's also like, as he is deteriorating as a person, Daniel Radcliffe's corpse is becoming animated and giving him a reason to stay alive and to push through. I think it's a great movie. I think it's an excellent watch. Everyone should go watch Swiss Army Man. But if I can't pick Daniel Radcliffe, which I, I guess we can, I would honestly go, like, if we are looking for a castaway type thing, which is companionship for to make sure you don't go crazy, I would literally go with one of those real dolls. The ones Ooh. that are like 100%, Ooh. they look like a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but a- if you are going to go crazy and literally project that this person is real or this thing is real, why not just go with a real doll? It's you know, good, from, point. from afar, people would look at it and just think you're on the island with like this weird girl, you know? Like, uh, well, hopefully they would come get you. Yeah, or maybe they might just think you're <laughs> camping or something away on a romantic retreat. I don't know. Those things are spooky. I forgot all about those because they are very like. I, I, I shouldn't say they're too realistic looking, but they got that dead eye thing going on. Oh, yeah. I hate about all yeah. those fucking dolls. Oh, yeah. They're scary looking. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know if it's any weirder than talking to a volleyball with my bloody handprint on it. You know what I mean? Like, at least the real doll. Like, Listen, I'm going to fucking tell you, we all cried when he floated away. Oh, when he sure. fell it's off sad. the raft and Wilson is floating away and Tom has to decide, am I keeping the raft or am I going for a Wilson? And then he floats back to the raft and he mm. cries for about a week. <laughs> You never see, did you ever see it? I've yet? never seen Castaway right, because oh, I spoilers. don't. Well, no, I don't handle like I hate being alone. So I think that would be incredibly stressful for me. That movie, just like that movie. What was that one with um, Chris Pratt and uh, Jennifer Lawrence? Lawrence Passengers. Passengers. Oh my gosh, that movie stressed me out. Just like The Martian stressed me out, like being stranded alone. You, you don't want to see Tom Hanks take his tooth out with a skate? No, no, definitely don't want to. No. But the thing about a real doll, too, if you go with that, if you need to do some banging around, <laughs> she's there in a You don't need for five it. guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's true. You're not living that one down anytime no. soon. So, she, so they're perfect for that too. So if you can't take the magical corpse of Daniel Radcliffe to wash the shore, go with a real doll. So Ham, was your actual answer the the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe? Or? Yes, because okay. that's the only thing I can think of. He's okay. wonderful. He's beautiful in that movie. I'll never forget when he watched because I actually watched that the first time. Would you watch it with me? Yeah, and, I, the first time I seen it. And I, rem- I remember thinking to myself, "What in the diddling Jesus did I just watch here?" And he loved it, and I hated it. And months later, I remember we were talking about this movie, and it came up in terms of like, well, I don't understand what this movie was about. Me too. And he goes, "Right, <laughs> shit." It, yeah, he said it so seriously. He was like. Josh, it's a movie about friendship, and I just about fucking fell out of my chair because I it died is. laughing. It is. I, I think like one of my most beautifully written reviews on Letterboxd is about Swiss Army Man. <laughs> that movie is all about friendship, and if you don't get it, if you can't get past the farting corpse stuff, I understand. But that is within like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, and once he becomes a person... It changes completely. I think it. I I actually love that movie. The music is amazing, super creative, super strange. The narrative of like when they're building a world together with like making theaters, making a bus, making like creating famous movie scenes. Like, of course, that appeals to me. And then uh, Hank's whole journey, like for the movie, to like. Yeah, I know. I know their names, Manny and get, Hank. I like a, this movie. Getting a plot summary here. I now. wished yeah. I was a corpse while I was watching this movie. It was so bad. I I just I just loved it. Like when he, you know, he finally makes it out of the woods, and he's like, "I don't belong here." What me and Manny had in the woods, it was different. Like they could be themselves, and that's what I loved. And you retreat to the woods. Around, they banging around, banging around, all that banging around. They did, yeah. But no, that that movie's beautiful. Whether you know, it, so okay, so. I'd be Ham would be talking to a corpse. You would be talking to a corpse, or I'd a real ta- doll, or a real doll. I'd be talking to my sock, wait, <laughs> and wait. Grace would be over on a rock. Reading. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. are we overlooking your encyclopedia pick? Well, That's I, so late. At least I name was, it. At least name it for me. I like all the encyclopedia. I'll go with that. She I was, saying, I was expecting dope. like Edith, maybe or I something. Guess, uh, <laughs> could be if, Edith. if I couldn't have Daniel Radcliffe's corpse too, I don't know. You know what? Each book of the encyclopedia would have its own name. They would all be a little family, but. <laughs> You have them yeah. arranged. I could Would see you, you arranging them at the supper table. Well, see, that's the thing is you can use them, you know, like you can use them as flat surfaces. You can use this them for entertainment. So you can use them as kindling. I'm thinking like practically they have a lot now. Emotional support, not so much. You guys are all talking in terms of emotional support. Mm-hmm. If uh, emotional support, I think also I agree with the like the humanoid type thing. I'm thinking a lot of have any of you seen Umbrella Academy? I haven't, no. no? Okay, yeah. I figured, Ham, you probably would have. Now, this isn't a spoiler, but there's this one character who is trapped in, uh, for a very long time, is trapped in a post-apocalyptic future, and he has mm. no companionship other than a store mannequin that he finds, and he carts this mannequin around with him for uh, how long? Like, 50 years or it's something like time. that? I don't remember her name. It's like judith or something like that and he brings her everywhere and he has this deep emotional connection because she's the only like humanoid type thing out there and i think i would need something that resembled a human so not a corpse but okay so quick a little uh, extra bonus question how long without something to talk to do you think it would take for you to to crack up oh matter days me too i think i'd be gone inside a week oh definitely it all depends on when i lose hope so I think I think it depends on where I'm positioned. Like, you know, is it a plate place that's like over flight paths? Is it a place that people might vacation to or nearby? No stimuli. No, stimuli. no that's what I'm saying. But like, 
can how long can I keep up hope that I might be found, right? Like, let's say if I can keep up hope for like a month, you know, doing, you know, carving the tally on the trees, then I could probably try and keep myself sane for a month doing stuff like drawing in the sand, writing in the sand, literally just if I could stay alive, of course, which is another question. But once you get past the point where you give up hope, I think I think that's it. I think I'm crazy in a matter of a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. I think I'll be like Hank in Swiss Army Man. You just wrap the what is it the belt around your neck, and then Daniel Radcliffe washes <laughs> up on shore. So well, I mean, I know I'd be cracked up because like a, a weekend alone, and I'm already talking to the dog yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, come on, respawn. We're gonna go outdoors now. Come on, like narrating <laughs> my life. Oh yeah, like. Uh- tomorrow evening my my roommate's not home and i was like okay well what am i gonna do maybe i'll go get a haircut just so i'm not in the house alone being bored just mm-hmm. the the idea of just an evening is just so boring to me that's what you got edith for eh, boy? there you go exactly <laughs> oh that's pretty good all right so next who is going now all you. right so uh last question of the evening um what do you think you will need to accomplish in your life for you to consider your life a success So, you know, this can be, you know, emotional, it can be creative, you know, something that that you think needs to be done. It can be big, it can be small, it can be easy, it can be hard. What are we thinking, folks? I think through a couple of our answers, we'll probably have a lot of crossover here. But if I want to be 100% serious, I don't know if I'll ever get to a point where I 100% believe my life is a success because I'm always like pushing Mm -hmm. for other things. I don't know if I'm ever satisfied. But in terms of I want to be optimistic and hopeful, I would want a job that I am maybe not creatively fulfilled with, but a job that I enjoy, that I'm happy doing, that can support a family that I have. And, you know, maybe the creative outlet mixes in there somewhere with the job. But if I could basically have those three pillars that everyone tries to get, you know, a hobby, family life, and work harmoniously. The trifecta. Then, of course, I would be happy. So that's the thing. I don't think it's actually possible to achieve that. Very few people do. Like, even people that are very successful in creative fields or very wealthy, you know, have a good job, their family life usually suffers. So I would want some mixture of that. Like, so if I had to let go of something, like, let's say if I had a really good job that I truly enjoyed going to, and, you know, maybe this was 10, 15 years in the future and I let kind of my creative aspects slip. Maybe if I had a really good family life and a really good work life, that would be enough of a balance for me to you do need it two as a success. Three. We've talked about yeah. this many times. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I, I think I could let the creative stuff slip if I was truly happy in the other areas of my life. But I think balancing all three is true happiness. It's just I don't know if that's really a realistic thing, like true success. You know, I, I don't know. Sure. So I stole all the answers. <laughs> no, well, yeah. I mean, you started off with the pillar foundation of what I was going to sort of bridge onto. But now that we already have that out there, for me, as someone who's going to be a high school teacher, I need to know that I can make some sort of an impact on someone at some point and not just be a fucking mannequin rattling on at the front of a classroom. Now, that can either be through someone young that's nameless that I don't know yet. You know, at least someone to say, oh, you know, Mr. Vey was a half decent feller. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do whatever I was going to do if it hadn't been for Mr. Vey. Or, right, it, it would have to be through children on my own. So in order to have like a really solid legacy, I'd have to have at least one child myself that basically was a, that, that I felt, you know, I'm sure you never really get too disappointed in your children unless they really shag up something and give you a real reason to hate them because they say you never really hate your kids 
mm-hmm. whether or not that's true, I don't know. I don't have them. But if I had my own youngster and I was able to see things that I liked about myself in my kid and nothing that I didn't like about myself in my kid, to me, that would be, well, I've done something right. I've done something correct. I've taken, you know, the best of both worlds and sort of whacked it into this outcome here. So whether that's through someone that I haven't met yet or someone that I make myself, then that's sort of what it's going to take for me. And I know that some people might say that's not a lot to ask for. Other people might say, well, geez, you're shooting for the moon there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That, that's sort of my answer to your question. Okay. And I think sense. family is, for me too, is the most important aspect. Yeah. Like if you actually, which is funny for me to say, but <clears throat> I guess in some regards, but I think it is the most important aspect to have, like be concrete. And maybe that's coming from divorced homes. Mm. But I do think if you have a very strong family base, you know, if you have a, a loving wife or partner, whatever you have and some children, I think that is very important. Like even if you have a terrible job, I think you'll have a better shot of enjoying day-to-day life i think if your family life truly sucks i think it's it's hard to find success or joy how do you take joy of anything if you don't like what you have going on inside your own yeah if you don't want to go home right like what what reward can you really reap out of there if you can't share it with somebody or if you share it with someone they don't care what's the good of it right i know it's kind of a little bit philosophical here now but it's true that's the way that i sort of look at it as well Mm -hmm. no i was going to cover those Three, three little pillars as well. Sorry, bad one to throw it to, but yeah. All right, like, I got you on the lie topic. <laughs> I got you good on that one. That's yeah. fine. All right, what do you got, Skipper? Yeah, I'm. I'm not a hundred percent on the fact that I want a family. I'm. I like go back and forth on it. It's like just mostly just because like I'm not at the point where I can have one like at my age. So like I don't know when I'll ever be able to have a family. But that's just. That's just a thing for me. But if I was going just like career wise, I'd I'd like to get to work on some albums that are maybe like actually published. <laughs> you know, put out work that's out there and not just like sitting on my hard drive or like someone's singles that never go anywhere because they just flake out. I'd I'd just like to get a chance to work with people that care about music as much as I do for the most part. Sure. I've got kind of two answers to my question. One is kind of similar to what you were saying, Josh, is I think I will feel successful if the people in my life are successful. Um, I don't necessarily want children. If that changes in the future, then that changes in the future. But where I am right now, I don't have any plans to have children. Um, But I do still have very strong nurturing instincts and mothering instincts. And so I do feel the need to give a lot of care and support to the people I love. And I think that if I can support those people and help those people accomplish their goals, whatever they might be, even if it's just emotional support, maybe it's, you know, I don't know, you know, some kind of support in some kind of way to help them achieve their goals, I will feel like a success. I don't, I'm happy to be a background character in their lives for them to be successful. I will feel successful by proxy. For something for me to do for myself to feel successful, I would love to be able to go through enough school to get my PhD. Then I would feel very successful. And I have always loved school. I'm lucky enough to be going back to school in the fall to start my master's. And 
I, I just think about so many friends I've had who have already done their master's. They went straight from their undergrad to their master's. I've got a lot of friends from high school. That's exactly what they did. Uh, they didn't stop to work first. And a lot of them don't even really enjoy school. They were just doing it because it was too hard to find a job. Yep. And mm-hmm. I just have always felt like it wasn't, it's this, this jealous part of me that it's not fair. They don't love it the way I love it. And yet they get to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I have always felt Like, and particularly, I have a lot of friends with higher education, and I've always felt like I'm not enough. And I I don't think that I am an unintelligent person. I'm certainly not brilliant by any means, but I know I can do it, and I know I have a work ethic to Mm -hmm. be able to do it. And so it's a little bit grating on me that I haven't done it yet. But I'm in the progress. I'm 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 starting the the trek. Sure. But that's definitely something for me, like for for selfish reasons, that's definitely something that I will feel successful if I get my PhD. Well, I, I can only tell you this much. My father actually has his PhD, which a lot of people might not know or guess that just based on me. But, <laughs> but he actually did get his PhD. You'd probably never think it if you were to talk to him. But I know for him, that was something he didn't have to do it. I don't think it really made any difference whatsoever to his work style or his work what he had before i didn't think really influenced anything but he just wanted to do it Mm because he knew he could right and because he could he kind of figured that he should Mm -hmm. exactly and it's not a thing that i feel the need uh, you know if it were to ever happen that i would feel the need to brag about or no one would need to call me doctor whatever you know that's that's not the interest it's dr full moon for (laughs) for for me to know that i can do it and that i put the hours in and i put the work in and then I would feel accomplished. I would feel successful. Sure. And I'm not saying that I will never feel successful if I don't get that. Mm-hmm. But that that would be, you know, I've made it. I've checked it off the list. For me. Yeah, that, that was the thing with your topic that when you asked it, as soon as I went to, I just went to the point of like, I don't know if I could ever be truly mm-hmm. successful in my mind. Like, I, I, I think about the people that I actually listen and talk to on a lot of podcasts that are incredibly successful, let's say, in the film career, like in their film careers, they still don't ever feel like they made it like they always feel like they have to do something better they always either talk about like their home life slipping or you know that they're not fulfilled creatively because they can't do exactly what they want so that was the thing like in that career like if you are somebody that wants to be creating i don't know if you ever Mm -hmm. reach that and i think if you do reach that maybe your work suffers because of it maybe you're not trying as hard as you should be or something i i don't know and Obviously, I'm not there yet, so I don't know. Now, just touching on hams there for a second, as someone who also composes, Mm -hmm. I would feel very personally gratified if I were to record a piece that I've written on either piano or on guitar, put it out there and have some mild success with it, or at least have someone come back to me and say, that was a really pretty song. That would definitely be a tick in the box. Now, would it make me feel like I was a success? No, because to me, it got to be larger than that. It got to be yes. like, like what you said. It yeah. has to be much larger than that. And that's why I sort of went with youngsters or making an impact on a person because that's a lifelong thing, right? Well, in terms of like mild to like moderate creative success, like we all have that currently. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we are 18 episodes yeah. into a sure. podcast, you sure. know, but of course we all want more than that. Like Ham saying he wants to do an album is a lot different than doing a one hour show that you know it maybe takes him 15 to 20 minutes of audio work to do right like i'm sure like actually doing an album would take a hell of a lot longer than that so Mm -hmm. cool yeah 
But with that, I guess that kind of does it for us this week. Uh, we're your last podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss a new episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, leave a like, comment, subscribe, share us with your friends. It helps grow the show. And if you'd like to support the show in another way, you can always head on over to patreon.com slash your last podcast and toss us a couple of bucks to help us keep things going here. Um, and with all that out of the way, I'm Colton. I'm Josh. I'm Grace. I'm heroin ham. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll be back with a new episode next week and every week thereafter until our last. So thank you for watching. See you later. Thank you. Get out of here. <laughs>